There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ozymandias Project. Trireme Transit, the newest and most reliable state-of-the-art time-traveling transportation service, is now boarding for all new and returning passengers. Now departing, present ponderings. Next stop is Ancient Odyssey. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode three of the podcast. I was so excited to be able to chat with my friend Aristotle Koskinas. Aristotle is an archaeologist and tour guide based in Athens, Greece. I actually met him while studying abroad during the summer of 2014, right after completing my freshman year of undergrad. Not only is he one of the most knowledgeable people in all of Greece, he also happens to love Greek mythology and architecture as much as I do. He is also a huge Star Wars fan and an avid blogger. I even inspired him to write a blog post comparing Greek locations to Star Wars cities and planets a few years ago. After COVID-19, should you find yourself wanting to travel to Greece, I know that he would love to meet some of you and show you around the Acropolis or one of the many other sites. So enjoy this episode, and I'll talk to you next time. So Aristotle, um, I know you're an archaeologist uh, as well as a tour guide. So, you know, can you tell me a little bit about the benefits to maybe, you know, being both in your line of work? So um the benefits well uh you know as a as a a tourist guide you have to take people to archaeological sites and museums not only to those areas of interest but primarily to archaeological sites so uh and although uh training for tourist guides in greece uh, used to be of a very very high standard and very high level and in the school of tourist guides we got a lot of uh, of knowledge and we travel all around greece but my experience as an archaeologist uh, and also as a field archaeologist uh, helped me a lot to uh, give a more thorough interpretation of the sites. I can uh, embellish the sites with stories uh, about uh, what was going on in that specific area, how artifacts uh, were used. Sometimes uh, in museums there are artifacts that they don't even have a caption, but I can explain them. To, uh, to my audience, because I know from my studies of archaeology what those objects were supposed to be or what we think they, they were used for. Uh, and also, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think that being an archaeologist um, makes me more passionate about describing 
the archaeological sites because I think that this way I'm doing some kind of uh, public outreach and I try to make people be really interested about the sites and uh, the artifacts and, and their history. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool because, you know, most tour guides that you'll take a tour with or see or meet um, in any country, not just Greece, they're only the tour guide. And I think that it's really easy to sort of learn whatever the, the manual or the book tells you and then to sort of just regurgitate it um, in whatever order they kind of see fit. Um, so I know that when I took tour, many tours during our study abroad together, I really enjoyed the extra uh, archaeological angle. Um, and, you know, I, I think that it's a handy skill that more people should I guess, I don't know, maybe I'm biased, but, you know, I would love it if every tour guide were an archaeologist. Um, you know, what are some of the, you know, steps you went through to sort of get to where you are now? You know, what did, did you start with wanting to be a tour guide or did you start with wanting to be an archaeologist? Well, actually, I started being, uh, wanting to be an archaeologist. Uh, although, to be honest, I wanted to be uh, uh, a, career, a career military officer. Now, how how I jumped from that to want to become an archaeologist is a, is, a, is a big story. But I decided that I want to become an archaeologist when I was uh, about 16 years old. And I went to a special high school, was preparing you for, you know, humanities and, and, and classics, skipping all the other stuff, you know, physics and chemistry and mathematics. Uh, and I knew that um, professionally, you know, getting employment was not... That easy. That that didn't deter me from one st study archaeology. And uh, despite that, anyway, I I worked also for the Ministry of Culture um, for a few years on a contract uh, basis. Uh, but for various reasons, one was that probably the most important one that uh, I, I was in the Ministry of Culture, especially in my last uh, project, I was doing more administration than archaeology. And maybe I was a little disillusioned about the, the serving in the Ministry of Culture after that. So I decided to, uh, to try the next best thing, which was uh, guiding. You can say that is the more commercial aspect of the cultural heritage, because you're using the antiquities as a, as a resource, both to create revenue, but uh, well, why not also to uh, teach people about this, uh, these places. Yeah, and, and so, you know, that's, um, I would say, you know, I, I think a lot of people that I've met, they've always loved archeology, span but they're, you know, a little unsure whether, oh, I don't know if it's a smart investment to go into that, you know, I'd, I think I'd rather be something else. Uh, and then, you know, one way or another, either they kind of circle back and they're like, I don't know, I'm going to do this or, or they actually do something else and then maybe are kind of like a, a lifelong hobbyist. Um, so it's really fun to see, you know, people who, who did decide, you know, okay, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to do it and it doesn't matter. I'm just, let's see where it leads. Uh, and so obviously it led you through archeological school. And so I know you love roof tiles. So please tell me why. Yes, I do. A very, it's a very niche thing. Um, and you're it, the only person is. I've ever met uh, who, wants to study them. So yes, please tell yeah. me more about that. 
So uh, the, the roof tiles is a kind of is a type of material culture, you know, roofing material, uh, which are um, rather crude when you look at them. They are bulky and, and large. Uh, the plain roof tiles that I am studying uh, don't have a lot of decoration, so they're not art. They don't fall under the the type of the umbrella of art history, and it's it's difficult, first of all, to make them and create some kind of, of, of typology uh, for them. And you know, typology is something that the archaeologists, it's our main tool for, for dating uh, artifacts. Uh, so, but, uh, uh, and when I started studying uh, roof tiles, I was back in the 90s. Uh, there were a lot of archaeologists who were studying architectural terracottas, which are the decorated elements of the roof. There are plenty of, uh, of those, but there were very few who were, who were standing the plain roof tiles. I think back then we must have been what maybe you could count us in, in the fingers of one hand. Anyway, maybe I'm exaggerating, but you understand it. And the bibliography was very limited. Actually, I could, when I was uh, preparing publication for the roof tiles from a separate survey, that was back in 97, uh, I could fit all the bibliography in a folder which was as thick as a shoebox. That, that was the entire bibliography that I could find on the subject. Uh, now, of course, after 20 plus years, things have changed uh, for the better, I might say. There are um, more excavations published the, the roof tiles, even the plain ones, and we have more uh, data. Uh, and there also there are a lot of archaeologists, uh, young archaeologists who, who study this kind of material. They write dissertations uh, about them and, uh, and papers. And uh, I'm very happy uh, about that. Uh, now, the, the roof tiles themselves are, are, for me, are fascinating. And I know maybe you won't have it. You're, you're not going to say in photographs on the, or video. No. Because I could show you roof tiles. But... Uh, because they tell you a lot about uh, not only the architecture of building, uh, they can tell you about the, give you a lot of information about the settlement pattern of an entire region, because when you find them in a surface uh, survey, uh, uh, you can learn things about trades, transmission of ideas and, and, and technologies. If you are lucky and you find stamps, you can learn about uh, um, the pattern of trades, uh, you can learn about the authorities of the, of the Greek uh, city-state. Sometimes you can find the name of the city-state because it is stamped on the, on, on the roof tile. So, or, and you, you can see it prints from the pose of animals. So you can, again, I, I was never lucky to have that kind of, uh, of find. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, for me, it's a fascinating uh, subject. Yeah, and I, I, I remember kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, there's certain places where I swear, you, you know, you walk anywhere and you just step on a roof tile, you'll find like a random one. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? Like, what is this? Um, and so I just remember it becoming sort of like a, a running joke that um, when I was in Greece, if we found any kind of roof tile, and then even when I was visiting Italy, if I found any roof tile, I said, you know, oh, Got got to send this to Aristotle. I mean, I don't know what to do with this, but he'll love it. Um, so it's it's just a really, I think it's a really fun, cool topic that you know you can kind of bring up to anyone, and you know, 
uh, you'll give you'll give the archaeologist hot take, and you'll just be like, "Roof tiles, they're awesome!" And then everyone goes, "Wait, what?" Uh, and then I would find that really funny to be able to explain, um, you know, your love for them. Um, so I don't I don't know what it's like in in Greece. Um, you know, obviously it's a it's a smaller country than the U.S., um, and you do have like immediate access to all these archaeological sites um, that we don't. Um, but, you know, how hard or easy is it to go to school for something like classics or archaeology? Because here we have such an advertising problem where people just don't know it exists as a as a discipline. Um, so, you know, it just makes it really hard for anyone to actively be able to say, I'm going to go in and study this. Um, is it easier in Greece? Well, in, uh, in, in Greece, I would say that it is very easy. Um, I, actually, that is extremely easy to study archaeology. First of all, uh, there, are, but there are 25 universities in Greece, which are public. So tuition is for free. Uh, talking about the logistics of the thing. And there are um, six schools of archaeology. In these universities, so you have in not in every region of Greece there is a school of archaeology uh, and history. So uh, if someone wants to study archaeology, uh, there are a lot of uh, of options. Uh, of course, uh, there is an issue with how you are admitted into a university because you have to go through a system of general exams, and depending on the on the marks you have, you may end up in a, in a university which was not your first choice. So if you know from the beginning that I want to go to the University of Thessaloniki because I want to study uh, Neolithic uh, culture, uh, you may end up in the University of Athens uh, where they have uh, professors who, who are good in classical archaeology or Bronze Age archaeology, but not in, in the Neolithic. When I, um, when I gave those exams, I want to go to the University of Thessaloniki in Northern Greece because I want to study about the history and archaeology of ancient uh, Macedonia. Uh, maybe it was an influence of all these uh, fabulous finds from Macedonian royal uh, tombs. Uh, but uh, I ended up at the University of, of Yanina, which is in northwestern Greece. So, okay, I studied archaeology, uh, but in a more generic uh, aspect. I, I didn't focus my studies on what I wanted in Italy. I, I took another... Okay, uh, so... It seems like it's a really uh, unique sort of system then, uh, unlike here, where, you know, okay, well, it's available, just sort of take an exam, but then it seems like you don't get to actually decide sort of where you go. You can decide, look, you have options, because you, there is usually, at least that was the system when I, uh, when I, when I started, but uh, I think it's similar today. Uh, the, before you take the exams, you have to, there is a form and uh, you list your preferences. So, and the way that we list your preferences uh, may, uh, may be significant, but also uh, if you don't want to go to the university in which you, you have been admitted to, you can uh, go through the exams uh, again, and maybe you're successful and go eventually to the university that, uh, that you wanted. So um, to sum it up about studying archaeology in Greece, um, yeah, studying archaeology is, is easy. Uh, I mean, getting to a university. In my class, uh, we were 200 students 
in a class that year, which means actually every year our university was uh, admitting 200 students in the Department of Archaeology, which is a large number. And it, uh, because you have to multiply it by, by, by six. Imagine how many are, uh, people in Greece graduate having a degree in, uh, in archaeology. And, uh, okay, of these, um, uh, less than 50% were really interested in archaeology. They wanted to study archaeology uh, to have a degree so they could work in, the, in public uh, education or, or whatever. Uh, but, you could, but you could see how many people really want to do archaeology because they would uh, try to uh, have access to excavations, to university excavations. They would participate in university excavations. They would, you would see them every day in the library of the university studying. Uh, so yes, it was, uh, yeah, it, it, is, it is accessible. It is uh, easy. One uh, to get uh, uh, to study archaeology in Greece. There are a lot of excavations in which you can uh, participate. Uh, what happens after you graduate is a different. It always is. Uh, yeah, it always is a different story once you've got the degree. Um, and okay, so you know, I think it's kind of incredible. You know, you had two hundred some people in your in your class where. Uh, here, you know, my department at the University of Missouri was really small. I mean, we had maybe 50 people-ish somewhere, probably less, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and most friends of mine who did study any, you know, kind of archaeology or ancient discipline also, their their department was just really small. So, you know, it's small enough that you know everyone or yeah. at least of them, if not them personally. Um, so it is kind of incredible that your class was so big and I wish we could have programs um, that big here. Uh, who knows if that'll happen. Um, but, you know, obviously Greece is good for, you know, it's got the sites and archaeology. It's just a great place to study that. What about for some of the other ancient disciplines? Because here uh, in the U.S., you know, to study Egyptology or Assyriology, you, it's kind of so exclusive and elite that you have to go to UCLA or Brown or Harvard or somewhere that just kind of is lucky enough to have a program. Um, but, you know, they don't really advertise and most schools don't really have it. So what if you wanted to study something else? You know, is that um, easier in Greece? Oh, uh, as far as I know, it is not. You have to, some professors may offer a course on Egyptology or Hittite uh, languages, la- language and script, but uh, you have to study abroad to get uh, a degree and to, to, be, to specialize or have a master's or a, thesis or a PhD uh, on those uh, disciplines. So, yeah. Because these are considered uh, rather exotic, or although uh, I mean the Egyptians and the Mycenaeans had uh, relations, so to understand uh, the place of the Mycenaeans in the world of the Bronze Age, you also have to study the, the, the Egyptians. And I know of people who have done, who have studied Egyptology, but uh, well, they started with the courts here in Greece and they ended up studying in England uh, or in uh, the US to get their uh, that, that specialization. It's so interesting how, you know, it's, you know, depending on what country you're in or where you are, you might have, you know, better availability for programs. So um, it almost seems, you know, it's, you know, I'm not saying one's better than the other, but it's so interesting how, you know, in Greece, you're like, oh, 
majoring in archaeology, big department, it's great, something we love to see. And then same thing is here, though, you want to study one of the other sort of exotic fields. And again, you're pushed into you have to go abroad or you, you have to come to the US, you know, you just you can't really do it there. Um, even though you're, you're a lot closer to some of these other places uh, than we are. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to see um, just kind of you know, how and where these, these programs are dispersed. So, um, you know, I've no doubt it, it's hard for a student uh, who wants to be an Egyptologist or a Syriologist anywhere um, well, yeah. in the world at this point, um, except maybe in Egypt or the Middle East. Um, well, yeah, perhaps. because that's closer to the, to their country. So, in the, so the, every country definitely uh, has developed the studies on their history and, and culture. But uh, I know that th there are uh, foreign uh, institutes where you can study, even from the US, if you want to study about uh, um, the, the Assyrians, there is the Institute of, of Oriental uh, Studies. Uh, if you want to study, I mean, uh, uh, to, re to return to Greece, if you want to study about uh, ancient Greece, there is the American School of Classical Studies. And from your university, you can apply uh, for, a, they have undergraduate students, they have uh, postgraduate students. You can stay in Greece for a, for a semester or for a full year. And you can have hands-on experience by participating in the excavations of the American school, which are the excavation of the ancient Agora here in Athens, the excavation of Corinth, uh, mission just two of, the, of their projects. So I guess it's, uh, I think it's how determined you, uh, you are, are you to, to pursue your studies in archaeology? And there are always ways, because there's not just the, the American School of Classical Studies, there are a lot of uh, American universities, uh, by American I also, mean, I also include Canada, uh, we have uh, projects, they're running projects here in, uh, in Greece for their students, so. Yeah, no, definitely, I think, you know, they're, oh, definitely, you know, if you're passionate and you really know what you want, you're going to be able to find things. Um, so, you know, coming maybe a little back to, so, you know, say you're someone who, who doesn't really know what you want, you, you know, you're not just dead set on, I want archaeology, I want classics, I want whatever. Um, you know, turning a little to, you know, how do we, if we're thinking about ways to get people interested um, and and kind of you know, steer people who might have talent or an interest sort of into any of the fields. Um, you know, what are some ways, you know, that we can do that? You know, is it through, um, you know, any kind of pop cultural um, sort of, you know, like the Brad Pitt Troy or, um, yeah. you know, any of the Netflix series or any of the documentaries? Yeah. Is that how we sort of get them interested? Or are there like better ways, maybe teach them in school, younger? Um... On one hand, uh, pop culture helps a lot to, first of all, because through pop culture, you can uh, uh, spread the knowledge about these, those times and those cultures. And Okay, someone who's playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey may get interested of, first of all, visiting the real sites. Okay, someone can visit them through the game, but they can also come over to, to Greece and visit Delos or Delphi or, or, or the Acropolis of Athens. 
to see uh, to feed for themselves uh, how they really look like. Uh, but uh, and, and that's a, and, and I think that's a very important step. Uh, I know a, a lot of because I have guided a lot of people who got interested about Greece uh, by reading the Percy Jackson uh, novels. It's about Greek uh, mythology. They don't take, take place in Greece, but may, maybe that makes them even more interesting and engaging for uh, American audience. Uh, so yes, pop culture is, I, I think, is, is important, but that's just the first uh, step. If someone wants really to, to study uh, no, the classics, um, I think that also the, as you said, you're right, the educational system uh, play, uh, has to play uh, its part. Because okay, you play a video game or you read uh, a comic book, uh, you, you also have to get some, uh, some more official or formal knowledge about uh, these things to get really interested, to make them, to be, you want to become an archaeologist who want to research. Or, or not just that, or, or someone who wants to read ancient Greek or uh, Latin texts, or inscriptions, or or Greek uh, philosophy. Yeah, and I'm I'm so happy that you brought up uh, Assassin's Creed because I did yeah. I I was I was gonna ask you, um, you know, are you aware of the newer field of archaeo gaming? As as one of the few archaeologists I know, I had to ask. Yeah, archaeo gaming. Uh, well, not really. I have watched uh, uh, video of uh, some young archaeologists who are playing uh, Assassin's Creed uh, Origins. Uh, I know that, uh, but I don't know if I don't know it's relevant that uh, after Assassin's Creed Odyssey was released, there were a lot of uh, uh, academics who were. Uh, playing the game or they were talking about certain aspects of the game, about the architecture, about naval uh, warfare. Uh, maybe it's, it's relevant. So yes, it sounds an interesting uh, field, if, if it's a new field or a new... And actually, I think I was doing arcade gaming before arcade gaming was invented as a thing because I was always, uh, you know, criticizing uh, video games and let's focus on the video games which are related to ancient and there there are plenty of titles uh, of games that are related to ancient greece and ancient greek history and ancient greek mythology uh, the problem is that being a purist myself i was always a very strict uh, critic uh, i was never satisfied with the presentation of antiquity through the games i'm, I'm talking about the games the games themselves uh, could be great but I was always finding ah you know that column Greek temples didn't look like that or uh, Greek uh, warriors didn't wear helmets like this or what about the tactics or uh, what 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 is the plot about what's happening here so that uh, yeah, you you listen my one hour rant about uh, games and especially Assassin's Creed the but uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's good to have something like that where uh, professionals can uh, analyze the way uh, antiquity is presented in, in video games 
because through that, the people who play video games may, uh, may learn more about the true history and also understand better the culture in which they're, they're supposed to be playing and interacting with. And uh, hopefully in the future, uh, creators of, of similar content will uh, learn to approach antiquity um, in a more serious way. And that by that I mean that, and I strongly believe that you can make uh, antiquity uh, extremely fascinating and interesting if you present it the way it was. And not just uh, embellish it with, with, with lyrics and things that are extravagant. Uh, ancient Greece was a very interesting uh, place. Um, uh, and if you want to have content that is full of violence and gore and uh, sex and fabulous architecture and uh, glistening artifacts, ancient Greece had all of that. You can go to a museum and, and see all that or read Homer or read ancient Greek uh, poetry or, uh, or tragedy. It's everything there. And if you present it as the ancient Greeks presented it, I think they would make it very uh, engaging, even for a modern audience. Yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting because as a, an avid uh, gamer myself, I, I do admit, you know, I'm very into especially the ancient games. So mm -hmm. Assassin's Creed Origins with ancient Egypt and then Odyssey with ancient Greece. Um, and I, you know, I'm also being a, a sort of purist myself. Yes, I would probably prefer that it be a little closer to, you know, more accurate portrayals. But at the same time, you know, I think it's a great educational tool. Um, you know, maybe it's not perfect, but um, I know that, you know, if I was studying Egyptology and I wanted to know, you know, okay, what is a, what's a, you know, sort of like a, a peasant house look like back, you know, in, you know, Ptolemaic Egypt, or what does a palace look like? Or, you know, oh, I don't know what, you know, the priests of Amun do at this temple. Uh, I think it's a, a really cool way to be able to say, okay, let's interact with the material by playing the game. So you can literally go stand in the temple. You can talk to a priest on a quest um, and he'll tell you a little bit about what he does or what he needs to, you know, perform the rituals. Oh, you know, and so it's kind of fun to be sent on a fetch quest. Oh, can you go get me wood? Can you get me the oil? Can you slaughter a bull for me so yeah. I can make a sacrifice. So, um, you know, I definitely think it, it, it has a place in getting people interested at the surface level. Uh, and then once they're kind of like, oh, that's really cool. Then that's when we can sort of reel them in and say, okay. Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, you're not an educator, you're not a professor. Um, so you're not in the position, but, you know, do you, even with it being inaccurate, and I know with, um, with Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, it it has it takes even more liberties, I would say, than than Origins did, uh, with especially with having a, a female protagonist. And you know, anyone who knows uh, ancient Greek history would know there weren't really female mercenaries just out there dominating the world. That just yeah. wouldn't be a thing. Um, so even with kind of inaccuracies like that, um, you know, would you still say no? It's it, it would be something that you would still advocate for maybe a professor assigning I, in a class. Well, I would, uh, I would, because I think that it would be a great uh, lesson if the students uh, would work and do the research to find out how accurate the game is, how accurate the presentation of a specific site or a temple 
really, so they can work on that and, and really learn. I would never advocate it uh, because actually that, uh, that happened in Greece when the, game, when the first promo videos were released. There were a lot of uh, um, media in Greece and saying, ah, this is a, a time machine experience and we should show the, video, uh, the videos and the game at schools to so uh, Greek students can see how impressive ancient Greece was. Uh, and I don't think, uh, I don't really think that's a time machine experience. I mean, when it comes to a strict archaeological uh, presentation, but uh, if you can use it as a tool in the classroom and give a assignment to the students saying, okay, uh, your task is to find out uh, how was the, the sanctuary of Olympia in the time that the game is supposed to take uh, place and compare what the archaeologists say and how those things are presented uh, in the game. I think that would be a very interesting uh, experience for the for the students and uh, and the class because also it's, go it's going to be uh, entertaining for the students be, instead of telling them you know take this book on ancient Olympia or those three books on ancient Olympia uh, go through them and find them how the temple of Olympian Zeus uh, was and what was its decoration and the myths behind it but if they do that in relation to a game and if they happen to like the game and play the game, I think that they will find their own personal contact with uh, with ancient uh, Greece. So yes, I, I I would be in support of of that if you if it is used in that way, in a, in a critical way, not in just give it a, uh, okay. This is how ancient Greece was. Right. So there has to be a degree of critical thinking um, yes, applied yeah. and, and knowing yeah. well, that you know this this is not the most accurate portrayal, but it is fun. Well, yeah, it, it is fun. Uh, I, for, for transparency, I have never played the game. I have watched all the promos. I have watched a lot of in-game videos on, on YouTube. Uh, but I have never played the game. Uh, friends of mine who have played the game tell me that it was a great uh, game. So, uh, and if, if students and by students, I mean you know, elementary and high school, if they learn in a funny way, I think they will be more interested about ancient uh, Greece instead of having someone giving them no, no, a lecture. And I have seen that also as a guide in my approach, especially when I'm, I'm guiding uh, you know, younger I mean, elementary school uh, students. Um, instead of talking to them about you know, just standing in front of the statue and, and talking about the statue itself, uh, I was using the statues as visual backdrops to narrate them a myth. And I was narrating the myth in a dramatic uh, way, you know, changing my, my voice, engaging students to participate. Okay, so you're going to be Hercules and going to be Triton, and let's uh, fight. And you see that. And I would keep their attention for an hour and a half. Well, usually their attention span is only half an hour. And by and some of them, at least like their parents tell me, oh, they still remember that, uh, that tour because for them it was not just a tour or a lecture, it was an experience. So if you use a video game to turn um, a class assignment into a learning experience, which is also going to be fun, uh, thing is, uh, that's one of the best things that, uh, that you can do. Yeah. And... On, you know, kind of the other side of that, you know, so if, if we don't use, you know, a video game for educational purposes, you know, I know that there are other ways 
and and, and it and it like completely not involving the education system, but there are definitely ways you can get into and recognize sort of the impact of you know the classics of archaeology of the ancient world just sort of on our everyday life, right? I mean, you know, how many you know people or instances do you encounter where they may just kind of off the top of their head know something you know greek some you know whether it's a saying or 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 you know you know do you, do you meet people who, who come to, to greece take a tour and they just kind of know random things and you're like oh well obviously that's just cultural well first of all there are people who uh say ancient greek architecture and they, they say ah okay i have seen something similar back uh, home because you know greek architecture has influenced the architecture of the 1800s and the early 19th, uh, 1900s a lot. Um, um, sometimes, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, the Trojan War, and you say around, and of course you have to talk about the Trojan Horse, and then someone who has never studied Homer tells you, ah, okay, Trojan Horse is the thing, is the malware that gets into your computer. It's something that is completely irrelevant Homer, but the word Trojan horse, uh, it, it, it is used there. Um, or again, there's an example taken from Homer, uh, people who go out jogging and they say, okay, my Achilles uh, tendon or my Achilles heel is killing me. So which is related to Homer and Achilles and his uh, only weakness. So, uh, even uh, or, or when you read about uh, no, um, uh, military technology and you see you read the, you read the names of weapon systems and they have a lot of you know, there are repeated Greek mythology references. So again, there are a lot of people who are using ideas and words that originate from ancient Greek mythology. Uh, maybe they don't know about it, and they're very surprised that, ah, okay, that, that, that's where that comes uh, from. Yeah, and, you know, I, I was sitting here thinking kind of, you know, as a little girl, um, you know, I didn't have the benefit of having, you know, the beautiful sort of gaming mm -hmm. atmosphere or, um, you know, a lot of the books that were written, like the Percy Jackson books that really would have, you know, I loved them when I read them in high school um, or, I, th I think I started them in eighth grade and then read them into high school. But, you know, I was already by then, you know, an eighth grader. So I didn't get to like really grow up with them um, in the sense that, you know, I grew up with the Harry Potter books. Um, but I was just thinking, you know, um, for, for, you know, little kids, maybe getting them into mythology or just getting them familiar with some of the players. Um, I was just sort of looking over at my shelf and people won't be able to see it, but I have a little Playmobil Roman soldier mm -hmm. and I've yeah. had him ever since I was probably about four or five. Uh, he was a gift. And I was just sort of thinking, you know, I didn't know anything about the Romans. I didn't know about legionaries. I didn't know anything, but here he is painted. He has his little shield and sword and his cute little helmet. And I realized, you know, I've either played with him or he's just kind of been here in my room my whole life. Uh, and, you know, just loving his little costume. I was like, oh, I want to, I want to learn more about what that is. Um, so I was realizing, you know, there's so many different 
uh, you know, Legos, you have the, the Lego figurines and the, you can, you can build the Lego, um, yeah, you-, you know, ancient sites. Uh, those are, those are fantastic learning tools um, or just engaging tools for kids. Uh, I was kind of realizing um, don't, don't play mobile now have like a whole series on, on. Uh, yes. Playmobil has a, a, an entire uh, line. Really, it's called. It's, it's in their history line, and it's it's related to ancient Greek uh, mythology. They have all the gods. They have sets related to the Odyssey. Uh, they have a, a set about the labors of uh, of Heracles, and they have a set. And again, people are not going to to see that, but uh, it's a set about uh, Icarus and uh, Daedalus. Oh, with, uh, with the wings, and the set also comes, you know, with uh, with wax and, uh, and 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 feathers uh, and all that. And uh, although, to be honest, uh, most of the people I know who, uh, who take those sets and play with them and also do a lot of custom, um, the customizers that are in their forties, uh, <clears throat> but. Uh, I, ha- I have I have used my my collection of playmobiles uh, as a, as a tool in my tours on the Acropolis, and I, I could see the difference. So in front of the olive tree, next to the Arcteon. So instead of just telling them, oh, you know, this is the place where Athena stood, and this is the place where Poseidon stood, uh, I took out my Poseidon and my Athena figurines, and I play. Or actually, I had. So, I played the myth with a Playmobil, and uh, yeah, the, the 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 kids were really uh, interested in that because for them it was it, it became not a, not a story that a grown up is telling them, but it became a game that they can play, and they can create their own version of the myth. They can tell the myth in their own uh, way. They can process the myth uh, in, with their means. So yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's so funny how just thinking about all these, you know, references, these things, these educational tools we we have. And, you know, I think a lot of people who, you know, didn't study the classics or who are young and they're still deciding, you know, I think they, a lot of people tend to look at this, you know, all these things and say, oh, well, that's really cool. That's a fun game. I love these books. Those are cool, you know, tchotchkes for my, for my bookcase, you know, whatever the, the case may be. Um, but, you know, a lot of that doesn't really transfer into actually going in and studying these things, mm-hmm. you know? So there is that kind of discrepancy with, oh, yeah, 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 I learned to love it, but it's not useful for me or whatever. Um, and, you know, that kind of feeds into, you know, if we don't want these fields to sort of just die off because people don't invest in them, um, you know, I don't know what it's like in Greece. It may be similar there. It may not. But, um, you know, here we, we see a lot of um, very sad efforts to defund our, our humanities programs. So, um, you know, I was very much shaped and impacted by in my senior year at the University of Missouri, um, our department, essentially, it was already really small. The art history department was very small. And they said, all right, well, we're losing funding, so we're just going to smack your departments together and roll you into a whole new thing and kind of hide you away over here. Um, good luck. Uh, and so I was, you know, very affected by that. So, you know, 
we've just now had a great discussion about how much of Greek culture just kind of affects so many different areas of, of life. Um, you know, so knowing what we do, what you do, um, and having covered some of it, you know, can, you know, a background in, in classics and archaeology in, you know, just, just knowing your, your Greek mythology, you know, can that come in useful for other, you know, other fields, other professions? Um, you know, it doesn't have to just be you major in this, then you, you go into the field. Uh, look, I think that, uh, look, there are some uh, that, that, they, that they do. And it, it may sound uh, strange that I'm saying that. If you study classics, uh, you can apply them to fields that are sometimes completely or seemingly irrelevant. So, for example, uh, you can be an educator, not, not just you know, when you do English language, but uh, when you teach other subjects. But having studied the classics, it can help you become a much better teacher. Uh, because also a lot of the ideas uh, you know, in, in, in the sciences originate in one way or another from the ancient uh, Greeks. Uh, also, if you are in public uh, relations, uh, knowing your classics can be a tremendous uh, help. Um, it, if you're a lawyer, <laughs> you can become a better orator and public speaker if you have, uh, have a good grounding on the classics and have read uh, you know, Demosthenes and Lysias and the ancient Greek forensic uh, speeches. Um, so I think that uh, for a lot of professions, uh, I wouldn't say that it is necessary, uh, but it will make a huge difference and it will, you'll become a, a more successful professional if you have also studied uh, classics. And yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, in Greece, you know, our, obviously, um, just Greece kind of as a whole has, has sort of been struggling for a while now, um, oh, yeah. financially. But, you know, is there kind of a, a concerted effort to get people in, into, you know, either archaeology or the classics? Uh, or are they also sort of pushing people into, oh, well, you should study something else, you know, urban planning uh, or, or yeah. you know, science? Unfortunately, in, in Greece, they were, despite the fact that we have all that rich history and we have all those thousands of archaeological sites and millions of artifacts that, have, that someone has to take care of and, and protect them and preserve them and, and protect them, uh, the Ministry of Culture uh, is always underfunded and uh, the Ministry of Culture was al always hi hiring small numbers of, of archaeologists. Uh, and uh, up to date is the only authority that can hire archaeologists. Even if you work in a private project, you are paid by the constructor, but officially you are hired through the Ministry of Culture. So you cannot create your own consultancy as it happens in other countries, for example, as in New Zealand or Australia or in the United Kingdom. So if you want to work as an archaeologist, you have to do it through the Greek Ministry of Culture, or if you're extremely uh, lucky, uh, and of course you're, you have the necessary qualifications, you can work in a, in a university or in one of the foreign schools or in an archaeological project. Um, the problem is that, uh, okay, 
uh, when it comes to the public universities, because of the financial uh, um, crisis, uh, the Greek government has started cutting funding towards the universities, and they're asking the universities to come up with their own means of funding. And I think there is a tendency uh, of uh, uh, pushing people to more to to studies and departments that could be where they would have a better, better, better more chances of getting employment uh, in the future. We are still at the beginning of that process in, in Greece, but uh, I'm afraid it will start affecting in the midterm the, the study of classics in, uh, in this country. Also. So, after now, um, since you don't have to pay any tuition, you go to university, you study for four or five uh, years. But if, you, if the government changed that system and said that from now on for a university to get funding, they must prove that it's a, uh, that's a, an efficient university and it's turning out a lot of, uh, of students and professionals who can be employed in, in other fields or other sectors of the, of the economy. So you will see that uh, fewer and fewer students would like to go to study archaeology and they would go to study uh, computer sciences or economics, marketing or, or things or, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, so yes, I'm, I'm afraid that that is starting to happen in Greece uh, also. Oh, that's such a shame. And, you know, in Greece, do you find that, you know, even if that's sort of a, a modern shift away from the importance of, you know, oh, you, you should totally go and study archaeology or classics, um, you know, maybe in, in some of the slightly older generations who are already, you know, or have been in the workforce for a while, you know, do you find that there are maybe those with, with backgrounds in, in history or the classics, you know, because um, there are some, you know, professional areas that tend have more of us than others. So, you know, I know, um, well, you know, politics is a really big one. I, I could be considered a walking cliche, right? Um, you know, classics major going into politics. So, you know, are there anyone maybe in, in, in the Greek government who, who have this background? Uh, in the Greek government, uh, well, the minister, the minister of culture, the, the, the current minister of culture, who's an archeologist herself. Uh, but you know what, if you, most of, uh, of the Greek politicians are either lawyers, and of course, to, 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 to get in law school, you had, uh, well, to go through the exams, uh, you were learning more ancient Greek and Latin and, and, and history. Uh, so yes, they are uh, people who have studied law, law, they're supposed to know some of the, of the classics and if it, even if it's restricted only in ancient Greek uh, legal and uh, issues and, and law and that. Uh, well, there are other people who are other politicians who are uh, doctors or civil engineers. Uh, and I don't know what is their, what is their knowledge of, of the classics. However, uh, in Greece, on every level of the public education, we get classes on, on history and sometimes also classes on archaeology. Uh, so everybody has some modicum of knowledge on ancient Greek, uh, or and, and not that one of you. Okay, we're talking about ancient Greek, but on on all periods of Greek history, but, but especially in ancient Greek. So if you were talking about 
the Battle of Salamis. Uh, well, I wouldn't say everybody, but uh, the majority of the group people will know what happened there. Uh, maybe they don't know all the details, but uh, they are aware of, uh, of the history and they know what is the Acropolis and what is the Battle of the Ab. Maybe some of them have some strange ideas about uh, Greek history, especially when it's related to their own, to their current political uh, affiliation and, uh, and beliefs, but uh, at least they have the knowledge on, uh, of ancient Greek history. Yeah, I mean, and I, I was, you know, just curious to ask only because, you know, when we, when we over here think of Greece, you know, we just think, oh, the cradle of modern democracy, they're so smart, so they must have government kind of, at least, you know, philosophically figured out because of that great, you know, heritage that, you know, most Greeks, they just love talking about, oh, I'm, I'm Greek, my heritage, you know, look at, I come from this great country full of yeah. ancient smart people. So, you know, I just... Um, you know, I, I was kind of always wondering, I was like, oh, well, do they actually use that in their own government? Uh, they use a, uh, they use, well, I'm going to be candid and blunt. Uh, they use ancient uh, Greece and, and the history, sometimes as a rhetoric device. Sometimes they, they use it in the sense that you know our great culture and our archaeological sites and what a great resource it is. Um, and then when it comes to take decisions about constructing uh, pipelines and expressways and uh, uh, wind turbines, for some reason they just forget about the greatness of ancient Greece and how important it is to, to protect those uh, sites. And we may, for example, this year we will be celebrating the 2,500 years from the Battle of Thermopylae and the Battle of Salamis. And, and the government who uh, has organized a committee, has cre created a committee to organize those celebrations, uh, has given permission to construct uh, or to repair an, uh, a, naval year, a naval repair facility in the general area of the location where the Battle of Salamis took place. So. Personally, as, as an archaeologist, I find that uh, that kind of behavior is a little inconsistent because either you admire and you respect your past, and your heritage, and you protect it, uh, or, you, or you don't. And what I say, but now I'm coming extremely political and, and, and partisan about it, um, you see that, yes, they're, on the one hand, they're a little ambivalent. On one, on one hand, Yes, they admire ancient Greece and they're using, they're saying, ah, oh, this is the cradle of, of, of democracy and the cradle of civilization. Uh, they may refer to the muses and at the same time, they destroy the landscape where the ancient groups believe that the muses uh, were active. So yeah, I find that kind of, uh, of behavior a little strange, to use a mild expression. Yeah, I think that's both interesting and very sad because, you know, it's you're, you're actively trying to talk about, you know, this, this great past, this great heritage, and at the same time still advance your, your modern projects. So yeah. um, it, it honestly sort of seems like it's just kind of like a, like a facade, right? You kind of hide behind the excuse and then you still do whatever you want. Um, that's, I, yeah. 
it's it's really interesting um and i and i love learning about you know what you know different countries are are up to and what they're doing and and you know how they interact with the past so um but anyway yeah so at the end of each podcast, I ask each guest if they would read the poem Ozymandias. And so the, the time has come. So now if you would please read the poem, uh, I'd love to just sort of get into, you know, your thoughts on the, you know, on the meaning of the poem and, and, and kind of, you know, just anything you've got. Okay. Uh- a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Uh, but, uh, excuse me, I was never good at reading poetry. So, uh, I met a traveler from an antique land who said... Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visit lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold commands tell that the sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Fantastic. Great. So, you know, this is a really famous poem. It was, you know, written in 1818 by Percy Shelley. It's probably my favorite poem of all time. And, you know, I find that it evokes such strong imagery, you know, and so for you, you know, having read this, um, you know, what is it sort of, you know, you know, 
what messages can we take from it? Well, maybe I'm a little biased because <clears throat> as an archaeologist, I, ha I have images like that in my mind, especially you know, for, not, not only from Egypt, but also from Greece, but this is really, uh, Egypt uh, related. Uh, and also I know who Ozymandias uh, was, uh, but uh, I, I will focus on two things. First of all, that the, the image of the erect statue one had just the trunkless legs and, uh, and, 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 and a face. And on the other, that uh, barren desert landscape surrounded. And, uh, and on one hand, you have that, uh, the pretensions to uh, majesty and, and greatness. Yes, uh, look at my works, you're mighty and, and despair. So you have the, uh, the self-image of a king who thinks that uh, he has conquered the world, he has created things that can stand the test of time. And uh, centuries or thousands of years uh, later, all his uh, achievements have, have been lost. They have sunk into the, those deserts. They have sunk into the deserts of, of time. And the only thing that remains is that uh, his words uh, on the pedestal and his own uh, ideas about uh, himself. And the, the traveler who's describing that story says, okay, I have seen that statue and I have read those words and look around and there is nothing. There's just a desert. So yeah, I would think that, I don't know exactly what Sele wanted to, to pass on with that uh, poem, but uh, uh, say that how sometimes vain is the pursuit of creating, uh, of conquering and creating huge uh, things. And uh, because in the end, time will, uh, will overcome them and, and, and destroy them. And of course, I know that you know, uh, Ozymandias was, uh, was actually Ramses II, who was an Egyptian pharaoh, and uh, who's considered one of the great pharaohs. Uh, but he also had, uh, say, I don't know if he was the first to do that in human history, but he had that sense of you know, how to present myself, how to create my self-image. And he fought against the Hittites at the Battle of Kadesh, and there is an account of the battle. And we know from other sources that the battle was actually a tie between the Egyptians and the Hittites. But when you read the account of the battle in the description, you see that uh, it was an Egyptian triumph, and all that was because of him. Because alone, he defeated all the enemies and he rescued his, his troops. And we also know that Ramses was appropriating monuments of other pharaohs. He was writing his name, his cartoons on, on, on their monuments. So he had, I don't know, maybe he had that complex to prove that he was the greatest uh, pharaoh of, uh, of Egypt. And that, of course, is shown in the poem. You know, the, first of all, the size of the statue, uh, the, the ideas that are transmitted through the message. And, uh, and, and in the end, all his achievements uh, came to, to nothing because, well, no one remembered them. And the only thing that remained was actually the statue was created by a sculptor and the inscription was written by a scribe. And I don't know maybe if Sally wants to say that because he's using the word, the hand that mocks. So I don't know if he thinks that the artist is mocking his patron by, by creating the statue, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think that that's the, the, the idea, the, the main 
essence of that question. At least yeah, that's how no, I, I yeah, I no, I think it, it's spot on, and mm-hmm. you know, I I kind of maybe rightly or wrongly because I'm no English major. I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't study that, but um, you know, I think that the mark of a good poem, of an excellent poem, is one that can stand the test of time. That would be applicable in any age at any time. And, you know, obviously this was thousands of years ago, you know, Ramesses was the pharaoh and, you know, at least 11, 12, you know, 100, you know, BCE or whatever. And, um, you know, but I, I, I can think of a lot of different world leaders at any time throughout history who, you know, this could have equally is applied to them you know i the first example in my mind was um augustus you know he he was so um you know dead set on you know i will i will leave rome a city of marble and i'm going Mm -hmm. to be remembered as the greatest princeps ever and blah 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 and i'm like well um he he also (laughs) you know he's he's gone too so i mean yes we have a bunch of statues and stuff but you know He's not building these statues, so he had to have someone who, you know, obviously he had to be able to, to order it, to tell it, you know, um, and, and that's kind of why we remember him or, you know, we had people to write down his achievements or else, you know, we wouldn't know about them either. So, um, yeah, I just I love how it's applicable to any leader anytime and even now you know there's so many modern leaders now who are kind of obsessed with their their image and with i'm going to make my country the, the best one ever for the you know the new you know roman empire and um again you can't do it alone it, it's kind of a group effort so um and and, and and maybe it's not only applicable to individuals maybe applicable to entire cultures because you have cultures who think and people who think, ah, okay, we have built those uh, great irrigation canals and we can bring water to the desert and our achievement will last forever. And ah, look how the great pyramids that we have built um, and we have conquered, we have uh, reclaimed land out of the jungle and we can build our pyramids and monuments and all that. And after a few generations, their culture is gone. So. Maybe that message is more um, uh, prevalent today because we're, as a civilization, I mean, the global civilization, uh, we're facing a huge crisis uh, or several smaller crises which can become a huge crisis. So we always have to be aware that, uh, okay, maybe that will sound a little pessimistic, but uh, nothing really lasts forever and you have to be very careful not to repeat the mistakes of previous cultures if we want our culture, our technology, our way of life, our societies to keep evolving and being and, and developing instead of you know going back to a new uh, dark age and we have I mean issues with uh, with um, climate change, uh, we have issues with wars all around uh, the world. These are things that have happened in the past and through the study of history uh, we can learn about them and uh, we have now the opportunity because we can look back after through all these generations through those cultures and how they dealt with those issues and these are the mistakes or sometimes the good things they did to apply them uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to our own predicaments and to our own problems before it's too late. 
So I think that point like these are uh, very relevant, not just for single politicians, but for entire culture. Yeah, I and that's I, I think I think that's an amazing point to to end this on. I mean that how do you how do you top that? It's you know kind of a, a, um, almost like a memento mori for for you know um, for for civilizations and, and individuals. So I couldn't have you know put it a, a better way to to end it. So uh, I wanted to thank you for for uh, agreeing to you know be on the podcast even from Greece. I know that the the time change is kind of difficult to plan around. So I, I, I was very excited that we were able to make this work. And, thank you uh, for inviting me and having me. And it was a great uh, discussion talking about archaeology, history, Playmobil, and video games. Yeah, all, all, all wonderful things that, um, you know, I love, you love, uh, that hopefully other people love to, to talk about and think about and do as well. So, um, yeah, and, and I hope that once COVID is over, um, you know, I'll be able to come to Greece. I hope that other people listening may Please want do. to either go back or visit for the first time. And um, if anyone listening wants to find a fantastic tour guide when they're in Greece, um check out check out aristotle he's 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 one of the best um and he, just to quickly finish um you have a blog right yes uh it's both in greek and english uh it, it, the title is aristotle died in greece fantastic so yes people can find you i'm assuming all your contact info is on the yes it's on, on my blog yeah, they can also find me through TripAdvisor. Uh, so if they want to book me as a guide, they can find me both through my blog and also through uh, on TripAdvisor. But uh, if they want to read uh, posts about uh, the archaeology of Greece, uh, well, they can check out my, my blog. Fantastic. Great. And uh, yeah, so I will hopefully uh, speak to you soon. Trireme Transit is now departing Ancient Odyssey. Next stop is Present Ponderings. I met a traveler from an antique land who said two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert near them on the sand. Half-sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them, and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, King of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 